This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Shall we begin? against the Nazis. And I know what it means if the Nazis have a bomb. They have a 12-month head start. 18. How could you possibly know that? We've got one hope. All America's industrial might and scientific innovation connected here. Secret laboratory. Keep everyone there until it's done. Let's go recruit some scientists. BFM 89.9, you're listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn Sharmila and Arvin. Very excited. Uh, we are going to be reviewing today, of course, as you can tell, Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Yeah, just a tiny little film. Just casual. Like, yeah, watch it on your phone or something. <laughs> like, it's fine. Uh you know, I, I'm really glad that the hype didn't let down this movie. I said this about Barbie yesterday. Um, I'm going to say it again about Oppenheimer. I think uh, it's been talked up so much by so many people that I, I was actually a little bit nervous uh, because I don't know, like, can anything actually live up to being Christopher Nolan's magnum opus? But you know what? Um, there's a lot to say about this movie and I'm sure we'll get into that. I would start off just by saying you got to watch it. you got to watch it in the cinema. Yeah. Um, also, you know how we make fun of uh, the word film and cinema, you know, <laughs> the M-A-H with the H? This is that kind of movie. This yeah. is the movie that people make fun of. This is cinema, you know. And it's, it's definitely going in my top 10 list for 2023. Um, I think it's going to be in top two. Uh, we'll have to wait for Dune to come out. Then we'll see if Dune is going to come out this year with all the strikes going on. But... It's it's fantastic, lah. Uh, seeing it in IMAX and the large format and the sound and the cinematography and the Nolanness of the whole thing. It's I I I haven't stopped thinking about it for about forty eight hours now. Like I literally think about it every few minutes, and I'm like, oh, Oppenheimer something. Incredible, breathtaking, wondrous. <laughs> I, I don't staggering. I I don't know. I I don't want to overcook the thing, but it's it's a really I think it might be a great film film cinema <laughs> um, no but I really think it might be great I, I I found myself so swept away and enveloped by this movie and I I wasn't I thought I would play the role of the non-IMAXian here and just be like oh yeah watching it on a smaller screen was fine too um, but after the FOMO swept me away and I traveled uh, for my IMAX experience <laughs> because the Klang Valley was booked out. Um, I would really say that whatever you have to do to watch this on the biggest screen that is nearest to you, you should do that. Um, don't miss out on the cinematic run. I think that it would be a waste. If you love movies, it's a waste. Um, and if you can and you live close enough to one, then IMAX. Because really, it's meant to be watched that way and it makes a difference. It's tough, right, to talk about what this film is about because is it about the man who built the bomb, the father of the atom bomb? Yeah, it is. It's His name's in the title. But 
I keep asking myself this and each time I think about it, I come up with a different answer because sometimes I think it's about man's hubris. Sometimes I think it's about needing to take a leap and not knowing where it's going to take you. Sometimes I think maybe it is actually making a case for peace and and it's and the movie actually wears all of these really quite well. Um there weirdly for a film that has been talked about so much and we've said so many times watch it on IMAX there aren't actually as many eye popping huge scenes as you might think right not like interstellar or inception for instance but the one but that there is the one that there is mm-hmm. and it it's not just visually stunning it actually does that thing where as a piece of cinema it kind of breaks your heart takes your breath away uh, brings tears to your eyes you feel like you were there And for that alone I think it's worth watching this on the biggest screen you can. Actually everything that you just said is our reasons why this movie has no business being a summer blockbuster. Like you would see this at the end of the year in a December, you know, trying to fish for awards or something, but it has no business being like a big IMAX release blockbuster. Um it's a biopic with 3 hours, 3 long hours of people just Talking. babbling just yeah. babbling on and on papers <laughs> yeah and mostly yeah, in papers. one room mostly in one room inside very pale walls you know nothing interesting um about politics and and war and other people's names that you can't remember and i i think it's it's so weird to see IMAX cinemas being booked out like to the brim like completely packed with people who are engaged with the story that they are hooked uh, they are completely locked in um and and the movie itself like is extremely engaging like you cannot look away um every shot is so immersive like there's character development it's so like psychological the score is so haunting and i think that's what makes me love the movie even more like it shouldn't be a blockbuster by definition in 2023 but it is and it's also making so much money as a blockbuster it's actually kind of hard to describe because um like you said shamila you could argue that the story is about any number of things you could say it's a historical thing you could say it's more than that at its heart it is a thriller i think it's a thriller and a character study um along with everything else but when you hear those things together it doesn't necessarily make sense because it's shot like a thriller it's cut like a thriller and scored like a thriller but that doesn't change the fact that it is primarily about two separate meetings like the 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 body of the Truly, film yes. the the frame of the film are two separate meetings mostly dudes mostly talking at each other about things and then in between you've got all these other things that again are people scrolling on paper and walking around and you know unionizing like like none of this stuff when you hear it said out loud sounds that great but i think the way the film is made the way it's shot and performed and written and cut the the editing of this film is just a masterclass for everything that is to come because you could make the a very tired joke right like oh 3 hours what did they edit a lot they edited so much the the film is made by editing Oh my gosh, the editing for this film, the way the storytelling is structured, the way every piece that's handed to you fits like perfectly into this puzzle and like a part of you kind of knows because you know history, but then another part of you is like, yes, but what are they actually telling me? Um and some of that information like the ins and outs of the communist party and the McCarthy era as somebody not from the the US A lot of this is quite opaque, right? And and can be boring in a different film. And yet in this it's like, oh my god, it's an essential piece of information that I need to hold on to. Um 
I will also say that alongside the editing, I thought the score by Ludwig Göransson My was God. amazing. Yeah. Um, the sort of anxiety that it, it creates, the nails on chalkboard quality without being actively unpleasant, um, the crescendos, the way it just creates the mood for every scene, fabulous. But also when it was not used. Yes, when yeah. it knows just to like shut it off. The, the not used is such a good point because the movie is so restrained, right? for a Christopher Nolan film. Um, like they talk about war, but then they never show us the war. They mention the bombs, then they never show us the bombs. It's so like deeply psychological and you see the story unfold through people's faces, especially Oppenheimer's face and you know Killian Murphy performing like that. Uh, the people around him, how they twist and turn and, and their character arcs. And I think it creates a very different kind of fear for the audience and, and a discomfort for the audience compared to your normal war movies because you're, you're focused on the people behind the scenes now um, and these like very generic, normal, flawed people with problems in their own lives are making decisions for the rest of the world and big decisions, decisions that are going to leave like hundreds and thousands of people dead. And it's so uncomfortable the way they, they pull that off because the shots sometimes are so close and you're like, I don't want to be in this space this this immersive. You know what I mean? Actually, can, before we, we take the break, which we have to, and then we'll come back and talk about just Killian Murphy because we have not actually spoken about Killian Murphy and he's in almost every frame of this three hours. Um, can, can we just kind of settle this? Because we are still kind of sounding very ponderous and like our pinkies are up and like, you know, my friends, Ludwig. Um, but <laughs> I, I just I just want us to agree on something because I've seen it thrown around. Some people have called it boring. I was very entertained by this movie. I know that's a strange word to use about something like the nuclear bomb, but I, I only mean that in that I was never bored. Um, I got everything that I wanted to get out of a cinema viewing and I just wanted to check was that the case? I was never bored. I didn't even think mm. three hours had passed by. Um, and, you know, there are many reasons for that. Our performances were brilliant. But primarily, I think it's what you said, Lynn. Um, it's shot like a thriller. And so you are always at the edge of wanting to know what happens next. So I, I felt the three-hour runtime. Like, I was like, whoa, they're still talking. Like, they're still talking about something. <laughs> but I was never bored. Like, I was engaged. But I, I very obviously felt the, oh, this is way more than two hours, two hours and uh, 45 minutes. So we're talking today about Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, um, which has been much anticipated, so talked about. Uh, we will continue our review. Let us know, have you seen it yet? Did you like it? What did you think? You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Breathe freely, Malaysians. BFM 89.9, the business station. Build a town, build it fast. If we don't let scientists bring their families, we'll never get the best. Why would we go to the middle of nowhere for who knows how long? Why? Why? How about because this is the most important thing to ever happen in the history of the world? You're the great improviser, but this... you can't do in your head. Are we saying there's a chance that when we push that button, we destroy the world? Chances are near zero. Near zero. What do you want for theory alone? Zero would be nice. 
BFM 89.9, you're listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn, Sharmila and Arvin. We're continuing our review of Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, which, not a spoiler, we all really loved. Um, can we talk about Killian Murphy, who I have been... I have been stumping for for years, I will say. <laughs> yes! I feel very justified in my love of him because this film, my goodness, he's stupendous. It's such a well-calibrated performance. Um, I've loved Killian Murphy in everything I've ever seen him in and I've long thought that other than Peaky Blinders, he needs to be like a leading man, a proper in a vehicle. Big, yeah, yeah, and and this might well be uh, the movie of a career for him. Um, I thought he was, his eyes alone, his eyes alone yeah. could tell like half the story for this movie. Um, he was so good. The physicality that he embodied is so, um, I don't know. Like you don't like him. But you also don't hate him. There's something very, very enigmatic and charismatic about him. Yeah, and and sometimes you feel the discomfort that he feels. Yes, like you feel the kind of like he feels heavy, even though he's like uh, skinny and lanky and and tall, right? You he walks around really heavy, like he's burdened. Um, Killian Murphy and and I want to say Robert Downey Jr. also should win awards for their roles. Like it is crazy how good they are. Um, Killian Murphy, I think he's been working at Nolan for so long and it's nice to see that he's finally the Nolan guy. Like, he's in the forefront. He's the leading guy, not the supporting actor. But Robert Downey Jr. is just... I don't know, watching him in this, he doesn't have to do any of this. Like, he... Those Iron Man paychecks can keep his grandkids in college. Like, he doesn't have to work a day in his life, right? But to see that he showed up, he tried, he flexed, um, he reminded us that he is a good actor, you know, he is Robert Downey Jr. That was nice. Um, and just the whole thing put together with that Nolan touch, just perfect. La. Actually, Robert Downey Jr. was a surprise to me as well. Not again, not because I don't think he's a good actor. I think everybody kind of knows he's a good actor. It's just that he has been playing variants of Tony Stark now for about 10 years. Um, and so it's nice to see him do something completely different and also in a role that takes a while to become showy. At the beginning, it really isn't a a star vehicle for him in, in any way or form. I actually felt that way about Matt Damon as well. Um, I, I Matt Damon's character and performance didn't need to be as mm, conflicted and human and interesting as, as he played it, but it really worked. And having him as an offset against all that mystery that that is Oppenheimer was actually really lovely because otherwise you just have these physicists going around being physicists and I think at a certain <laughs> point you you need people. Matt Damon was great. Rob Downey Jr. my gosh it's great to be reminded that he can actually play these kinds of roles um, but to add on to people didn't have to do this much Emily Blunt oh my God. Um, in her yep. role as, as uh, Robert Oppenheimer's wife. Um, Kitty Oppenheimer. Kitty Oppenheimer, she, you know, you go through quite a bit thinking, oh, is that all Emily Blunt signed up for? And then as the movie starts opening up, you realize what a performance this is. And and I think there are like many actors in this movie and there are so many that just pop up randomly have these moments, right? Where you're like, huh, I wonder why they took on this like walk on part. And then you're like, oh my God, they've got like this amazing scene. Because some of them are shot in IMAX, and I, th- and I think that that's why they would sign up to be sh- like you see you see like normal shots of a, a, a middle of nowhere town or someone on a horse and you're like why did this have to be in IMAX and then you see the shot and you're like that's why it had to be in IMAX you know it's so it's so huge and big 
And like you mentioned, like Lynn, you know, you said that this has to be seen on the the biggest screen, right? I before this movie, I was also not a fan of experience gatekeeping, like you know, saying it must be seen in 70 mm. Our closest 70 mm is in Melbourne. Like, what are we supposed to do? Like, where are we supposed to watch this? To movie? be clear, Lynn didn't travel that far. Yeah, no, no. Did I? <laughs> Nobody knows. It was a distance, my friends. <laughs> but th- I, I think, like, if this kind of insistence is what it takes to get people booking uh, large screen formats, premium formats, going to the cinema, making an event out of Barbenheimer um, as an alternative to all the things we're talking about, right? Like, oh, watching movies on Apple Vision Pro or, or, or whatever is coming up, then I am all for it, la, because just as an advocate for cinema going and the movie going experience, like insist like go ahead and tell us we need to watch 70 mm or 45 or you know whatever it is like you know it it if that's what it takes so this is the thing right i really am ordinarily not a fan of this sort of thing i i think um you know there are benefits to watching it on in cinemas of course we want to keep the cinemas alive there are benefits to being there for an immersive experience not second screening not dealing with any other annoyances or distractions that you might have at home but ordinarily, I would not be a, it was shot on IMAX, therefore you must watch it on IMAX. But when you see the thing, when you hear the thing, it just makes a difference being in the hall. IMAX tickets are not cheap. Um, I, I think yeah. that it says something when A, they're booked out firstly. Um, but the other thing is, I don't think anyone peed. Like I'm not trying to make a snap judgment on people's bodily functions. I wasn't watching everybody. I don't have like a, like a jar that I can refer to. But um, what I can say <laughs> is I really, I don't think anybody left my theatre. And everybody was well behaved. I didn't see weird flashes of light from people checking TikTok. Like, you know, it was just a fully engaged cinema. And I think that speaks to the fact that um, your point about second screening, for instance, right? There are some movies where you can see and feel that everyone who's worked on it has put in so much effort. There's so much effort and work put into this film that I feel like if you love cinema, if you love movies, (laughs) cinema, Cinema. I can't say it now without (laughs) sounding terrible. Um, Give a movie like this the respect it deserves. I'm not saying it's only this movie, right? There are other movies that deserve that kind of love as well. If you can, if you can afford it, I think a film like this is worth giving that kind of attention to. I mean, there are shots in here that were done practically. Like, you know, visual effects, yes, but they were shot, like they were not CGI. And I was thinking like these shots could have been easily done in CGI. No one would have known, like no one would have been the wiser. You didn't have to do all of this. Nolan would have known, Arvind. Van Hoytema would have known. (laughs) (laughs) But he, the the fact that they decided to do it practical, right? It gives the movie, I I don't know, something in your brain just tells you that it's real and tangible and and that, that tactile feel like you know I don't know how you know but you watch it and you're like that's not CGI like that's that's real and you appreciate that so much especially when it's shot so big hey guys why didn't we review um, the three minutes of Florence Pugh's performance sorry so bitter um, so- <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry but censorship board please la please la stop ruining our movies for so us. this is the stop thing right butchering our movies yes. this is the thing I love Florence Pugh you know she plays an important character but you kind of only know because the film tells you because she's cut out of the thing it's just all of her scenes are gone pretty much and it pains me to know that we'll probably never get to see the complete thing um, on a big screen in our country 
Yes, uh, because this is the version we've got. And I've now had to go and read articles to try and understand what we've missed about this very important character and very important sequence. Yeah, so why is it rated like 18? It's like a 16 or 18 movie, right? Why do that if you're going to, you know, butcher and, and snip out all the scenes? Blur out also, backs. Also, yeah, blur out backs. Also, I just want to say I've, I, I know subtitles are important. I have never been so bothered oh, as a Malaysian. Oh, the giant subtitles <laughs> very large, like a so quarter big. of the screen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as Malaysian, we're kind of oblivious to subtitles. Like, I, I don't see it in other movies. This movie, I was like, why are the words so big? Why are they taking up half They haven't the calibrated the size of the text for an IMAX screen. It's like projected as large as everything <laughs> else in the movie because it's as important. Yeah, yeah. It, it really didn't make sense. Um, So halfway through, I was like, Ah, uh, you know, because you laugh at like the nothing jokes because you can't help but read them. They're so big. <laughs> and it's it's an odd thing. Um, but I mean, these are all minor quibbles. The Florence yeah. Pugh thing, not minor, but um, the rest of it, I think, I don't know. It's very early to say we're just in the middle of the year. I don't want to start making lists necessarily or say that this is Christopher Nolan's best necessarily. We'll see. But I think it was really great. I think if you can, you should catch it while it's in the cinemas. At least once. I'll go again. For I'll sure. go again. It's so rewatchable. That's the other surprising thing. I wanted to watch it like almost in a few days, like, not immediately. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, in no, a few I, days. I need a break line. My emotions need, need to recover, but definitely again. Yeah. That's where we're at. Let us know. Uh, we loved both Barbie and Oppenheimer. Um, no favorites, very different films. Tell us, have you watched Oppenheimer yet? Uh, did you like it? Did you watch it on IMAX? Was it worth it? Uh, you can WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio and write to us movies at bfm.my. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.